1: Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, and listen as we have a conversation about the mundane, let's say. One thing we can promise is that our conversation will hopefully be less than fascinating so that you can just drift off. I say that and it seems like such an affront to any of my guests, but really it's a calm conversation that you can listen to and just chill and relax. Thank you for joining us. We hope you will listen and sleep. I'm your host, Marco Timpano, and joining me is a dear friend, and I'm so thrilled and proud and happy to have you in the studio. Uh, Welcome, Tess Sharp, to The Insomnia Project. Hi, Marco. Tess, I've known known you and worked with you uh, for years and years. I've traveled with you, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's a thrill. I just feel like I'm gushing right now, but (laughs) in my hands, I hold... Quite a wonderful look, look, and feel of a book called Provoke, which you are one of the authors of.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: Tell me about the name. How did you get the name Provoke for this book?
0: Okay. So, when we were thinking about the name for the book, there were a number of things that were flying around in our head. We work in the field of leadership development. Um,
1: what does that mean?
0: It means that we work with senior executives of large global corporations around the world on developing their leadership skills, their ability to be able to uh, work constructively and well with their team members, their colleagues uh, in service of their organization. And um, so if I think about the reason why we called the book Provoke, it was fundamentally to stir up the market a little bit, okay. to start to encourage people to think about how so often businesses approach their leadership development work, and um, it's become a very established norm. And we wanted to challenge the industry because we believe that there is so much more creativity and innovation that can be brought to the human agenda in business. Uh, and we wanted to kind of shake the market up a little bit to think about how we work in a way which is more humane, more humane both for our leaders and more humane for the staff that they work with, th- that they enable um, so that was why we called it Provoke.
1: Uh, Provoke sounds like a book that would also inspire.
0: Well, I hope so.
1: Yeah. Before we go any further <laughs> mm-hmm. and our listeners drift off, where mm-hmm. can one find this book?
0: Okay. So you probably gather by my accent that um, I am UK born and bred. Wonderful. Uh, we live in the UK, my husband, Keith Jones, and I, and um, – so the book is published and available on the UK branch of Amazon. It is available worldwide, mm-hmm. but you need to go to www.amazon.co.uk and then put in a search for "Provoke: The Art of Transformative Facilitation." Oh, I'm sorry,
1: I didn't say the entire mm. name: "Provoke: The Art of Transform Transformative Facilitation."
0: That's right. Otherwise, you're in danger of getting some shampoos and
1: conditioners. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny how one, you know it could be one word that makes something unique and you type it in wrong and and it's all over. And if uh, businesses are like, oh, we would love to have these authors come, mm-hmm. instruct, talk, uh, mm-hmm. inspire. I understand you have a company they can can they go to your website and
0: yes they can so mm-hmm. if anybody wants to get in touch with us our company name is alchemy worldwide so if they want to come through to us at www.alchemyww.com uh they can get through and contact us there
1: and don't worry if you don't have a pen or paper to write that down look in our show notes and I will list All those places where you can find what we're talking about. What provokes you in a positive manner? doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be from your book, but what provokes Tess Sharp?
0: Uh, I think for me it's when um, we work with human beings Mm. in increasing their awareness about how humanity and goodwill makes a difference in life. Oh, wow. Uh, And it sounds very um, ethereal and esoteric, and it really isn't. It's at a very pragmatic level. You know, my past experience of working in large corporate businesses is that they can be very spiteful places, and there's a lot of what I would call playground behavior that comes out, a lot of corridor conversations and backstabbing that goes on, particularly the more senior you get in business. Sure. And, you know, leaders have a really tough job. Uh, Yes, they may get paid a lot of money, but actually they fundamentally have a tough job and they have to prove their worth virtually every day. Mm -hmm. And part of their job is enabling and motivating those around them to work in service of the business. You know, an engagement and influencing positively is also a really tough call. And I think the more we're able to look at business as opportunistic and collaborative rather than territorial uh, and aggressive, there's far too much of that in business right now. I see. So that's something that really does turn me on that I I think is really Mm -hmm. important in today's age.
1: There's far too much of that in politics, in business. Yeah. In daily interactions with individuals in your hometown or city. um, And making that shift or change would make certainly my area, my world, a better place. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's so true. You know, um, so many (laughs) people talk to us about Brexit. Yes. And about what's going on in the UK in terms of politics. And I think the behaviors that we see from politicians is just so scary. Sure. You know, being able to have. Uh, A sensible dialogue Mm -hmm. to build on each other's ideas rather than just tear each other apart, um, tear each other's ideas apart, is such a key thing. Uh, You know, the answers are not straightforward and Mm. simple. It's a really, really complex landscape. And there are high emotions on both sides, Mm -hmm. both for staying in the EU and for leaving the EU. And all of that is completely understandable. But the way in which, you know, we all talk to each other to understand what the difference is about, to seek more understanding and to judge less is going mm-hmm. to be such a key thing.
1: To see the value in the opposite opinion. Yeah. It's so often discounted or dismissed and, and yeah. so much can be gathered or learned or inspired from something that you don't agree with mm. by not dismissing it, in my opinion. Yeah. Certainly when I look – Doing this podcast, I listened to different podcasts and I made sure that I looked at – I listened to what I really liked mm. and I incorporated that. And what didn't work for me yes. was as important. Yeah. You've reread your book. hmm Did you learn anything from rereading your book?
0: <laughs> I tell you what, it's so interesting with the book because – I, I was talking about it the other day and it's as if um, – When you write the book, you give birth to this thing that takes on a personality of its own. And it's like watching a child grow. Sure. So each time I read the book or we talk about the book or we run a session in the methodology of the book, I learn something new. and. You know, it's kind of like as you explore the face of your baby for the first time. So you start to notice that, you know, they have a little pimple on their left cheek or that their hair curls in a particular way. Uh, And it's kind of like that with a book. It's taking on a personality of its own. And um, it's so fascinating to hear how others are interpreting the work and the bits that turn them on. Sure. Um, And sometimes it's, you know, it's kind of not what you think or they say such amazingly nice things. I'm waiting for the one person who's going to hold up this book and say, hey, look, this has all been done before. Right. And that's not what people are saying. Oh, that's great. Um, They're talking so much about the originality of the work, which is just really touching.
1: The nuggets or the chapters that resonate with people or things that Mm -hmm. resonate in a way you didn't expect. Mm -hmm. It still boggles my mind that one of our most popular episodes is the episode called the citrus episode, Uh where we just talk about citrus fruit fruit for 26 (laughs) minutes. And people, I get so many emails saying, oh, the citrus episode puts me to sleep every time. (laughs) Um, Page, I think 292, if I'm not mistaken, is a photo that you took Mm -hmm. that's in the book. Mm -hmm. Tell me about photography. Do you enjoy it?
0: Yes, I do. And I never realized that I was a photographer. Mm -hmm. I I think until I was in my 50s. Um, I've always known I'm a fairly visual person. Yes. Uh, You know, I like colors to match and I like things to look right in my head. Um, But through the medium of photography, I think the greatest, the greatest invention ever is my iPhone. Because, of course, it's on my hip all the time, wherever I go. And uh, being a business owner, you're never disconnected from work. Sure. Um, But it's always there to just capture in one moment. And if we look at that photograph on page 292, it's of a very good friend and colleague of ours, a guy called Sean Kelly. And uh, I snapped that shot. We were in between sessions working for a global financial services business who are a client of ours in Hong Kong and uh, their offices are in this great high-rise, so we were up on the 29th floor. uh, And I just captured Sean in this photograph for one moment during a break when he was just sat looking out of the window over Hong Kong harbour. And uh, it just, for me, captures that moment of a stolen moment of peace, a precious moment in our kind of busy lives when we just drift off for one second, and I just caught him in that. So, yeah.
1: It's great. Um, you, you could take photos and make a book of just your photography. <laughs> a stolen moment of peace. Yeah. In your daily life, what is your favorite stolen moment of peace?
0: I think it's in the morning when I first wake up. Okay. And uh, I do my best thinking first thing in the morning. Oh, wow. When uh, I'm kind of part asleep and part awake. And I think it's the time when my head is so uncluttered with stuff. I see. Uh, And it it has this habit of just wandering off into the most remarkable little corners. And I often will then kind of come around and come to smiling to myself at some complete piece of nonsense that I've just conjured up in my head. Wonderful. So, yeah.
1: There is a element of artistry to this book that I love from Mm -hmm. the cover and from the photos inside to the colors you actually use, the three main colors in this book. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there art in business?
0: Absolutely, there is art in business. I think, um, you know, one of the things that I just so love that writing of this book has surfaced is the The possibility and creativity that exists in our, just our day-to-day humanizing together. I see it a lot in young entrepreneurial startup businesses where there is energy and often the young founders are too naive to really know some of the risks or some of the challenges that they maybe face ahead. So they just have this incredible enthusiasm and openness and creativity of possibility around. And um, I can't even remember what your original question was, but that's um, where my head went. No,
1: it's, it, I was asking if there's art in business. Yeah. And there's this um, beauty in the young entrepreneur mm-hmm. a fearlessness a mm. not knowing what's over the horizon so not to fear it is what i gathered from yeah. your your answer there yeah. Yeah.
0: and and it's so much i mean it's very much like the industry that you're in mm-hmm. in in the kind of um, spontaneousness the improvisational nature that exists in business. You know, so much of the history of business is about having regulated methodologies and having an analytic and a rational approach to business. And yet some of the most incredible things are created from that space of not knowing and that space of unpredictability and spontaneity and constructive reactivity to something unexpected that happens. And I think that's really... um, it 's it 's not appreciated or not recognized as such potential for business. Uh, so much change that happens left afield or in, an un, in in a surprising way that 's not foreseen um, often can be seen as a threat or a risk or something that needs to be closed down right and yet I think that that 's where the incredible magic of business actually comes in, and it is very much an art form being able to thrive. With possibility and an environment where, you know, there's increasing levels of legislation and regulation and the interconnectivity and interdependency that happens across businesses now with Mm -hmm. the whole social media and technological age. But equally, there is so much possibility and so much magic that could be conjured up.
1: Is there an ideology that exists in business that… Does not resonate that you're like this is so antiquated and yet so many businesses mm. tend to hang their hat on this idea. In particular, when you're looking at the digital age, the global age that businesses face today, mm. does one come to mind?
0: Yeah, I think for me it's the hierarchical and bureaucratic uh, dictatorial uh, styles of leadership which I think perhaps worked in the industrial age but nowadays I think to motivate young generations and have so many generations working in the workplace now as we do I think it's suitable for a bygone age but the whole concept of being a really bossy boss Mm -hmm. uh, with very little regard for... um, the motivations and engagement and the goodwill of your staff is a key thing. You know, I think one of the younger generations now that we have in the workplace have grown up with a lot of choice and a lot of aspiration and expectation. Uh, They have less loyalty in the businesses that they work for. And to keep those kind of people working for you with good grace and goodwill I think it's really important that we treat them as individuals with their own choices, their own preferences. You know, there's one thing for me about businesses needing to work nine to five. I understand that there are certain businesses that have to operate within those constraints. And at the same time, some people don't work their best work working eight hours nonstop from nine to five. So if you have a business where you have flexibility and it doesn't need to be that degree of uh, strict regimen, I think it's important that we are able to offer the flex. So if someone works best by going to the gym at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and coming back and they feel empowered and engaged at that stage, then that works in service of the business. Not all businesses, I know. but sure. I think it's more about how we approach and respect the people that work for us.
1: Wow. That's pretty, pretty awesome, I have to say. Uh, that certainly really resonated with me. Shifting to your authorship and mm-hmm. being an author, mm-hmm. what was one of the things you found the biggest challenge in writing a book and something that you might have thought was a challenge that actually was fairly, um, I don't want to say easy, but came to you in a way that you didn't expect?
0: The book was a complete journey. Great. It took us four years. So I wrote it with my husband and business partner, Keith Jones.
1: Who you will hear on a subsequent episode of the Insomnia Project. (laughs) Watch
0: this space. Yes. Once heard, never forgotten. (laughs) So, um, yes, I mean, the methodology that sits in the book is Keith's way of working. And I make no bones about that in the book. I think the magic of my involvement with it. And the thing that came as a surprise to me was the degree to which Keith struggled to access what he knew, and it was far more of an emotional roller coaster for us both than I think we anticipated. So as soon as the methodology started to emerge, and and that came to him in a dream, and it's a wow. fascinating story. You must ask him about it. Um, but as soon as the methodology came to him. I started to apply that methodology in facilitating his thinking to help surface what this work was all about, because he his way of working has been so ingrained and has been learned over 40 plus years sure. of working with groups, that actually he didn't know what he was doing, uh, a sort of level of unconscious competence. And so... One of the things he often talks about now is that he didn't realise in the process of writing the book how much he actually knew. And so we were rediscovering or discovering in some cases for the first time stuff that he didn't realise that he knew. So it was a very magical process and at the same time an incredibly enduring process to stick with it. To the point of those final two words at the end of the page, of oh. the end, when we both burst into tears and just couldn't quite believe we'd got to the end.
1: Wow. Well, <laughs> any advice you'd have for people who are contemplating writing a book of any, of any topic yeah. uh, that you would give them?
0: Uh, yes. Well, a, I do have. Yes. What a great
1: picture of you! I just turned. To start. I know, it's I'm shocking, so sorry. Shocking. I asked you a question, and then I turned. And I was like, "Oh, there's, there's. Oh, sorry. Anyways.
0: Yeah. No. Well, as we're now going in to start to write our second book, we think we've got a series of five oh, in, our, in our heads that we need to access before we're too old. But um, the words of advice based on what I witnessed in Keith struggling to write the book. And my words of advice to me taking the lead authorship in this second book is to find your writer's rhythm. Oh, You know, the biggest uh, thing that you're faced with as you write every day is the blank page of whiteness that just sits and faces you day after day after day. And you have to find a way from within yourself to populate that whiteness. And to find the font of creativity that sits within you. And, you know, sitting down from nine in the morning till five in the afternoon with a blank screen in front of you is not the way most people write. And I think most authors would say, and certainly from my experience of working with Keith uh, on this book, has been to find your groove. So there will be times when you'll sit down to write and it's just not there. Okay. Take yourself to Starbucks, go find a coffee, go and find a park, go for a walk, do your laundry. It doesn't matter what. Just go and change state. Right. Find something else to do because the book will come to you in those moments when you stop seeking it. When you're consciously trying to reach for it, it's not there. But when you just allow the space of no thing for it to emerge and give it permission then it starts to magically come into your head. It's a very odd process. Wow. So I want to say just be kind to yourself and allow yourself days when the writing's just not there to just not write.
1: There you go. Mm. Don't fear that white page. Just chill. Just go for a walk. (laughs) do that it'll come it
0: will come don't
1: worry so much about the white page because we've all been there too because sometimes i imagine it i mean you wrote this with keith Mm -hmm. but it can still feel like a very lonely process writing
0: absolutely absolutely i mean you must have done writing in your time Um,
1: without a doubt so
0: you know what would your counsel and words of advice be
1: so i'm um currently writing a book It's going to be a book on podcasting, funny enough. And what I find for myself is with with that white page that you talk about is just start writing. Mm -hmm. Just write what – it doesn't have to be about your book. It can even be I don't know where to begin. And you just write that and then see what comes out. I learned this because the musician, songwriter, singer Prince Uh – I heard this and I don't know if it's true – From Provoked Prince in one episode. (laughs)
0: That's a great title. (laughs) He,
1: He would write so many songs. He would write multiple songs daily or he'd write at least a song a day. Yeah. And he wouldn't necessarily use that writing to create a song. It would just be a song that he wrote. And he would then say he'd put it in his files or in his safe, let's say. And there might be one word or one line that he could take from that song he wrote on February 11th. Mm-hmm. and put it into one of his songs, and he would just use it as a reference. So what I will do is I will write and hope that I know what I just wrote is not great. Yeah. I know it's not what what I want to be writing for this particular piece, whatever it might be. But if I can even get a combination of two words that I like that I can then take from and use in a subsequent chapter that I'm writing, yeah. then it will have been worth it. So I take that inspiration from Prince, who writes every day not to publish that song, yeah. but to know it's there in yes. case of an emergency, and that's, that's what I use.
0: I think that's fantastic advice. Mm-hmm. I will use that when I yeah. start the next book in January.
1: Yeah, there you go. Well listen. <laughs> Tess, and I know your name on the book is Tessa, but I, I always I know you as Tess. You do, yeah. um, I wish you much, much success with Provoke. Thank you. It is a great, awesome looking, feeling book. The content which I flip through jumps off the page for me. I uh, strongly recommend that if you work in business, have a boss who needs, mm-hmm. you know, some tools, or you want the tools, provoke the art of transformative facilitation is definitely a book that you want to have in your personal library. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Marco.
1: I hope this ends up in libraries because I feel like I love libraries. I know. By the way. But this on a <laughs> shelf in a library. It, I, would, I would it
0: stands out
1: was there an aspect to the d- the book design that you found uh, important because it's re- you, it's designed so well too and yeah. that for me is like even just the spine like that stands out
0: well it, I, we have a massive bookshelf mm-hmm. in our lounge and uh trying to find particular books you know when you when you own the book yes. and you can't find it on the shelf It's the worst thing ever drives you nuts yeah. drives you nuts so we said we wanted a book where you can easily find it on a shelf of books so it has a wide spine and a black cover with the large white words yeah. provoke on the spine so uh easy to find and it will be one of a series so there's going to be a number of other words Great. on spines of books for it to sit beside
1: and if you don't like to tactile hold a book in your hand there's an e-version of the book you can there is. get as well yeah tess thank you so much for being part of the insomnia project today
0: thanks Margot. my my pleasure
1: we hope you had an opportunity to listen possibly sleep as always the insomnia project is produced by drumcast productions And this episode was recorded in Toronto, Canada.